At Cool Air Products, we developed AC Smart Seal Quick Shot with professionals in mind. It's the only product on the market that's three in one with sealant, lubricant, and UV dye all in a single application. It's non-toxic, non-flammable, 100% safe to the touch, eco-friendly, and compatible with all refrigerants. It's a safe solution option, backed by years of R&D, Intertech tested, and has sealed millions of leaks. AC Smart Seal, the professional's choice. What's up, guys? Welcome back. Airflow Ignorant No More. Actually, I think that's a good name for the podcast. I think I'm going to name it that. Airflow Ignorant No More. And and I started this journey because I see so many guys out there doing airflow testing and checking this and checking that, and it's just never been a thing for me. It's just, just never. And I'm like, I need to get into this airflow game like everybody else. So I've done a little bit of reading. So step one was for me to make this YouTube video I did with the the static pressure tips and checking external static pressure of a rooftop. I did a little bit of research beforehand just to make sure I got some 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 of the stuff, or not some of the stuff, but I <laughs> tried to get as much of the information that I was relaying in the video correct from researching through different articles and different videos and stuff like that. So the information's out there, so put it that way. I will put that that video link in the podcast notes, and I'm going to talk about this video with Will because there's some readings I got that he is going to help interpret for me, and I talked about it during the, the, the break um, and where you can find these static pressure tips that, that we're talking about. So next step was to talk to Will. Now, Will got a hold of me, and I'm, I'm glad he did, and his name is The Pedo on Instagram. Okay, he's, his name's Will Clayton, and he's out of Washington. He's NEB certified. He works for United Tests and Balance. And we're going to have a discussion on airflow tools, uh, balancing a basic system. And we're going to talk about, the not the issue, but the readings I got when I was checking some static pressure in that video I made. And like I said, the video link will be in the podcast. No, it's a good discussion. I learned quite a bit. And, and if you guys are interested in airflow, if you know airflow, um, this will be like, just like, hey, listen, see how Will does it. If you don't know airflow, you can listen in and learn some stuff. So anyway, guys, let's get to Will on the HVAC Know It All podcast. As always, I'm your host, Gary McCready. Welcome to the HVAC Know-It-All podcast, recorded from a basement somewhere in Toronto, Canada. Your host and HVAC tech, Gary McCready, will take you on a deep dive into the industry discussing all things HVAC, from storytelling to technical discussion. Enjoy the show. Hey, Will, how's it going? Oh, great, Gary. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, not a problem. Uh, you messaged me, what, almost like a month back now, six weeks back, and and uh, you said you're interested in doing a podcast, and I finally got my scheduled pod podcast out of the way, and I and I said like, yeah, let, let's let's message Will and, and and see what's up. And it's funny because your Instagram handle is, jeez, uh, now I got to go back and look at it. The, yeah, the pedo, the, the pedo, the, 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 the pedo. <laughs> so obviously we know we know what you're you're into. Um, maybe some people don't know what pedo is but a pedo tube is just an airflow measuring device right right 
Yep. It is the uh, gold standard for uh, when you're talking about airflow and, and the best way to get an accurate reading. The uh, the pitot tube is kind of the is the default. No, let, let me ask you this before we get any further. Now, True Tech Tools, they sent me out some static pressure tips, right? And, and, and I want to start taking some more static pressure readings on, on different things, uh, especially during like troubleshooting. During, during a maintenance, I mean, there's not, not really enough time for that in, in my world anyway. Right. But during, during troubleshooting, if there's something wrong with the system, I'd love to just take some static readings, like it, it, at minimum external static pressure of, of, of the RTU or whatever that I'm working on. Um, but when I posted the picture of it, people were going pitotube, pitotube, pitotube. I'm like, can you explain the difference for everybody right now, the difference between a pitotube and a static pressure tip? Yeah, so uh, basically when we're measuring airflow, we have, um, you have static, you have total static, and you have velocity pressure. Um, so what you measure when you put your, that little Dwyer um, static tip that you have, when you put that in the duct, it's measuring static pressure. Um, static is kind of what fills up the balloon, right? And mm-hmm. then uh, total pressure is the combination of static and velocity. So our, the way that the pitot tube works is it has two hoses going to it, and you're actually reading the difference between total static and that's giving you velocity pressure. And then you have to convert velocity pressure into actual velocity, do you not? Is Am I saying yep, that yep. right? So it, okay. it, most of our meters nowadays give it to us. Um, yes, but if that's you're right. just getting a pressure, you get a, you know, you get your velocity pressure square rooted times 4,005, which is the constant. And uh, that gives you velocity for a pitot tube. Man, I'm, I'm never going to remember what the... <laughs> Yeah, it's, <laughs> I'm, never remember that. It's, uh, I'm glad I'm glad the tools do it for you nowadays. Yeah, no, it's huge. So the the static tips, right? The they don't have an opening on, on the very end. And I read an article uh, recently, actually, maybe within the last couple of weeks saying that the, the, the end is rounded, kind of like almost coned in order to kind of break up the air as it goes by it. Is, is that right. is there any truth to that? Yeah, yeah, that's the way it is. Um, and like I said, on, on a typical pitot tube, that that end would be open. Um, so mm-hmm. on a static tip, it, it's designed to kind of give it this uh, um, effect to where it's actually causing the air to, to separate but not to slow down. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, I did a podcast way back when um, with a guy who's actually really good with airflow as well. His name is Jason Rende. He's written an article for my website. And if you're listening, hi, Jason, (laughs) but he, he was telling me and something that he told me it clicked like static pressure. You're supposed to check perpendicular to air to airflow. So those static tips, it makes sense because when you put the static tip in opposing the airflow, the, the holes are on the side of it. So really you are checking the pressure, um, perpendicular to airflow correct yeah you're not picking up total static so it's uh makes the difference cool man so you're you're in seattle you're saying right yep yep out of seattle um been up there for about two years now and uh we have a smallish test and balance company with about 10 guys working for us and uh, we work nationwide all across the u.s um so anywhere from florida to alaska to I mean, you name it, I've been there in the last couple of years, so. Nice. And, and when you said tests and balance, this is something that 
I've, I learned recently. I, I hear people say, yeah, I'm a tab guy. I'm a tab guy. And I'm like, what does that mean? And every time they say I'm a tab guy, they get into this conversation about airflow because being where I am, maybe, maybe that, that terminology exists, but I've never heard of it until recently. And I looked it up and it was like test and balance. <laughs> like, yeah, tab. Awesome. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I don't know if th- this is, I should look this up when I get off the, uh, the call with you. If, if that is, is test and balance, is it just a wording or is it part is it an organization tab? Yeah. So the, uh, tab used to be test, adjust and balance. Uh, okay. We've kind of all dropped the adjust word because insurance all companies right. had an issue with it. Okay. Um, so now it's just test and balance, but, uh, uh, there's three major certification bodies for test, adjust and balance. And, uh, it's NEB, AEVC, and NBC, and uh, they're worldwide. I think there's a one of the past presidents of NEB is actually in Canada. Okay, and so it's kind of a the there's some disagreement back and forth about which one's better, but uh, as long as someone actually has taken the time to pass the certification, that's usually a good sign that they have an idea what they're doing. Um, Got gotcha. I mean, that you know the the bodies exist for to train people. And then they also exist for, uh, it's a bonding. So, uh, NEB and AABC actually have a bond. And yeah. so once you're certified, if something goes wrong on my project, they'll use their money or their resources to assess if it was my fault. And if it was, then they'll actually step in and fix the pro- project with another company. So it's kind of a, um, you know, most, most trades have actual bonding, but test and balance just kind of relies on their certifications. Gotcha. And, and this is how ignorant I have been to airflow over the last <laughs> so many years. I didn't even know what ta- tab was. So I'm going to learn a lot from you, I think. And don't mind me if I ask a lot of silly questions because I'm filled with I'm filled with silly questions. That's how I learn. No, that's the only way to learn. Yeah, exactly. So what I, I think that I would like to do with you is since you're uh, an expert at this and airflow is, a, is I, I don't know. I don't want to say taboo, but there's there's a lot of people that really, really um, are geared to checking airflow every time they do a maintenance or a call. And there's people that never check it. I would say the majority of people don't even ter- turn their head when it comes to airflow. I'd say the majority, the majority of the people do. So what I'd like to do is just educate the audience on on a simple balancing of a simple basic unit and just go to the fundamentals of balancing and where we start. And, and where we end. And along the way, I'll just, like I said, I'll ask you silly questions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's not a problem. Um, uh, I think awesome. I had some notes put together. So, you know, stop me if I, if I ramble on, but, uh, um, basic instruments for test and balance is probably the place to start. Okay. Uh, we have a capture hood, which if anyone's ever seen the guy walking around with a red or blue cone, putting it up to the grills, um, we typically call it a flow hood or a capture hood. Yeah, I the, think uh, um, the T- Testo 420, I, th- I yep. think, is, is is one, yeah. Yeah, Testo has a really nice one, uh, black and gold. So it's actually one of the better hoods I've ever held. So they've got a really good balance to theirs. But uh, um, those have changed a lot in the last couple of years. I mean, it's mind-blowing in the last five years how much the flow hood has changed. It's uh-huh. been around since the 80s, but something happened five or six years ago where a bunch of companies got into it. They all got wireless. They all got lighter. Uh, the ones that we use are carbon fiber. It's just uh, yeah. it's a huge difference. So kind of neat. Yeah. But um, they run anywhere from like fifteen hundred to thirty five hundred bucks. It just depends on the brand. Yeah. So kind of an interesting, interesting thing. But um, the other thing we use is a manometer. 
measures you know differential pressure mm-hmm. and usually is what your your flow hood's powered off of um i think i saw or, or listened to a podcast the other day i'm trying to catch up on everything and uh you were, you were talking about the testo uh rva the rotating vein anemometer mm-hmm. so that's like a, a definite staple in, in our our, uh, our tools we have three or four different brands that we use um but the rva is is huge um and then we also have a tack a stroboscope uh, full damp meters like everyone has the you know, what was that what was that last one a, a stroboscope stroboscope so uh if you ever done timing on a car uh-huh it's the same idea so it, it you can basically adjust it to a, a pulsing frequency and okay. uh, it's pretty neat if you ever get to see one they're they're uh if you get it dialed in right so if the, if the motor is moving at 1700 rpm and you set your strobe to 1700 it looks like the motor came to a complete standstill so, so this is where, this is where my silly question comes in. Is it like a strobe light almost? Yep, it, it's a strobe light, but with okay. a uh, extreme accuracy and the ability to adjust the the pulsing of it. Cool. So that's one of our. We, you know, we started buying them about three or four years ago, and and uh, because they started making smaller ones, you used to have to Fun- plug it into power, and and couldn't carry it on the roof. Funny story about about that is years and years and years ago. I remember uh, <laughs> he was pretty upset that he was even asked this. This this older tech I work with, he's smart as all anything. Like, this guy was like, he he knew his stuff. He was very smart. Um, there was a building we took care of and they made Velcro. It was a manufacturing plant. And there was an exhaust fan that could not be shut down except for certain periods of time. And the, the fa- facilities manager was like, well, can't you use a, can't you come back at night and use a strobe light and, and check the belt, check the belt for cracks and wear and tear that way. <laughs> and the guy was just, he was just fuming. He's like, hey, I'm not going back there at night, and put a strobe light on there and run 300 feet of cord. Like he's, he was fuming, but, but I, I was, I was thinking about it. You could, pr- if, if you had the, the strobe going at, at the right pulse, you might be able to look at it and check it. Yeah, you you can get a belt to stop. Um, it's it's a, it's not it's a little bit harder, but you can get it to stop to get the, uh, you know, we we always take down belt size for our reports, and so I occasionally I'll use it to stop a belt, so I can get the belt size on it. It's a, it's a nice little trick. That is, yeah, that is super cool. I would love to see that in action one time. Do you have any videos or anything on that? Yeah, I think I have some somewhere. Um, I'll dig them out and put them on. There, uh, you have to put a big warning in front of it though that you know do not look at it if you have epilepsy. Uh, on the video, you have to do that. But uh, yeah, strobe's pretty neat. So um, as far as the balancing process goes, I, I figured I'd dive in on like uh, basic steps and then kind of walk through balancing uh, like a four-ton system or something, something small. Sure. Just sure. Uh, the, the math is kind of, it's easy math, but talking about it without showing someone kind of gets lost. Uh-huh. But um, typically we show up to a job uh, most of it's I'm, new. I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I think while you're talking, I'm going to draw this. Is this, are you doing, when you say a four ton system, is this like a four ton package system? Or yeah, yeah like so a, I figured we'd okay. start with a four ton rooftop unit. Um, okay. I'm looking at a set of drawings right now with a, a train, uh, like YHC 048 or whatever. So just the standard uh, four ton system, maybe four grills on it designed for 400 CFM a piece. So typical airflow rule of thumb for us is 400 CFM per ton. I think that's standard for most people, but. Four um, tons. So we're looking at like 1600. Yep. And so 
first thing we do, new construction, show up. Uh, we make sure the unit's running. Uh, we make sure the fan rotation's right, which is surprisingly not always correct. That's huge, uh, yeah. That's that's yeah. very huge. And then we uh, go through and actually make sure all the dampers are open. That's supposed to be step one of an air balance. Um, a lot of guys skip that, which you can, but sometimes it bites you in, at the end. Um, and then with the, any of these rooftop units nowadays, you have to make sure it's actually in full cooling, which has been a whole new world with uh, the way that the U.S. is going. I'm assuming Canada is the same where you've got everything is uh, two-speed. It has to be by default now. Um, and then you've got, so, you, you know, uh, even the smaller u- rooftop units will be one compressor, but the fan will actually be a two-stage fan. And that's kind of been an interesting thing to watch. These uh, uh, people hook these up and they're only running one thermostat wire. And so the fan never runs at full speed, which is, uh, unless you're testing the airflow, you don't ever figure that out. The fan just what if comes it, what along. If, what, and, if it's, what if it's a three-phase unit and it's and it's just got like a three-phase belted fan? Yeah, and even those nowadays, I, I know carriers moving away from uh, anything that's belted now with carrier has a uh, VFD in it. They're I've seen that. I've seen that. Everything. And it's, it's got like a different wheel in it. It's got like, almost like a backward incline wheel or something in it. Yep. Yep. And then they've also got that carrier, the, uh, what's it, the Eco Blue or whatever, where it's got that silly, strange looking blue fan. Um, seems like everyone's going towards direct drive for the smaller stuff. And then they're going towards uh, the belt drives all have some sort of a BFD in them from the factory nowadays. Okay. So we're, we're going to run that fan on like full board two two speed right so yeah we, we usually just put it to we usually set the space to 55 degrees during the summer and that usually gets us to, to where we actually have the fan running you know balls to the wall okay. so um then after we we've got the fan running we've got the dampers open we just go down and start measuring some airflow uh read each one of the grills and write them all down and then we try to determine which one is our lowest percentage everything in air balance is about percentages and so, you know, if we had 400 CFM grills, our goal is to get those grills between 360 and 440, which is 90 and 110 percent. And so, assuming that we measure those and they're not all within 90 to 110, we now have to figure out how do we get them all there. Um, so, in my example, which is kind of hard to, to to illustrate verbally, but. You know, if say we read all these grills and we have one at 113 percent, one at 80, uh, one at 103 percent, and one at 118, right? Mm-hmm. And so that 80 percent grill is what we call our key grill, our anchor grill. And so it's it's a grill that's just low on air, and nothing's wrong with it. The damper's open, the flex is fine, everything's installed correct, but just by the way that air moves the duct, that one didn't get as much air as the other grills. And so that's our that's our problem grill that we have to get up to ninety percent. Okay. And so the process for that is is pretty simple. You go through, you find the grill closest to it location wise, and you cut it down to match. And you know if, if everything's designed for the same CFM, you cut it to the same CFM. But if not, you're just looking at percentages. And so in that example, our grill was at eighty percent. We'd cut the next one, you know, close to it to eighty three percent. You know, hoping that the air that we cut out of that grill goes to our key grill. And then once you get these grills matched, they stay together forever. So you have 
you cut it to 83, you go check your key grill. It's at 83% now. Good. They're going to stay together. Move to the next grill. You cut it down to 90%. You go back and check your key. It's at 90 now. Great. We got three grills at 90%. And then you go cut your last grill to 95%. You go check your key. It's at 95. Great. It's at 95 across the board now. And so it's it's basically just this back and forth, up and down the ladder, uh, getting everything to to match. And then once you have it matched, everything goes up and down together. And that's where the, the job kind of gets really easy after that, because you've got everything above the ceiling done. And now it's just a matter of adjusting the total on the unit via the belt drive or via some sort of an ECM switch. Okay, since we're on the topic of airflow, I've got to bring up a couple of things. We're having the discussion about static pressure tips and the difference between them and pitot tubes. Well, I got those tips from TrueTech Tools, and I made a video, a YouTube video, of checking static pressure on a rooftop unit. And I'm going to talk uh, to Will about that towards the end of the podcast and ask him what his opinion was. Now, that kit that I got from TrueTech Tools, I mean... It's like 50 bucks or something like that. Just going off the top of my head. And there's an 8% discount on it using code KNOWITALL. If you're interested in getting those static pressure tips and the tubing and the, the fittings that it comes with. The other thing that I need to mention is since we're on airflow topics is Testo has a lot of cool airflow measuring devices. Uh, rotating vein anemometers, all different sizes. They got the flow hood that we, we discussed they have hot wire anemometers and they got them in the, the the smart probe variety and the variety that's not smart probe if you don't want to use your phone or tablet to, to hook them up to but those tools are available if you guys want to take a deeper dive into the airflow aspect of the industry and for the month of april as i've mentioned on the podcast testo and ttt all one word will get you 13 percent off testo products at true tech tools so last, last podcast we had, or a couple podcasts ago, we had Blue On on the podcast. And we talked about a device that they're installing into train of telepacks and telepack units. Now we had this discussion on Facebook and Instagram and people are like, well, why would we put these in here? I think they were misunderstanding the whole concept behind it. Well, Mike had mentioned that blends tend to condense in the suction line and it's a possible cause for the the bearings to wash out on the 3D scrolls in the train and telepacks. Well, this solution was implemented when you convert from R22 over to a blend such as TDX20. So that that's why the solution was put in place. And Will from Blue On, Will Fry also mentioned that there is a warranty on the compressors when you use TDX20, right? A limited war a limited warranty. So anyway, guys, get accredited. Once you, once you do, you're going to get a call from someone. The people that I've talked to that have got accredited on the app has gotten a call from a tech just to shoot the shit, basically, and say, hey, what's up? Thanks for signing up, and, 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 and let's, let's rock here. So sign up. You have access to the app and their tech support from within the app. Two-minute wait time is, is what, they're, uh, what, what they got right now. Dan Foss's infograms, I keep posting these because they are awesome. They got a lot of great infograms. And if you go to the, the website, and, and I'll post a link to that within the podcast notes again, you go to the website, they're all individualized in thumbnails. 
So you can pick the thumbnail that you're interested in and once you hit on that thumbnail, you're gonna see a bunch of infograms within that same subject. The one I posted yesterday was on piping practices. There was eight tips. Um, there's only room to go th one through six on, on a post on Instagram or Facebook or wherever I put it. Uh, but if you want to get into it some more, click on the link that I'm going to provide for you in the podcast notes and check those infograms out. They're educational. They're eye-catching. A lot of us are, we're visual learners. So we, we learn from looking at stuff like this. So check those out. Venom packs from Refrigeration Technologies are now in Canada. They've been in the U.S. for a bit. Yep. They have. Now they're up in Canada. I've been saying, when are the Venom packs coming? I received some samples pretty cool what they are is condensed formulas of their coil cleaner you just add some water and they come in a little bag with a cap so you can reseal them so you don't need to carry up one gallon containers up to the roof with you just a little little baggie um, and some of you could probably fit these baggies in your tool pouch depending on how much room you got left over in your tool pouch so check those out guys by Refrigeration Technologies, the Venom Packs. The all-purpose cleaner actually looks pretty cool. As I was saying in the video I made, I got fingerprints on my stainless steel appliances from the kids. And when the sun shines through the window in the morning and all you see is the fingerprints, it drives me nuts. I have to clean them. So I'm going to try the all-purpose cleaner on the stainless steel appliances and see how it works out. New sponsor for the podcast, Company Cam. I've talked about these guys now a few times. I've done a few posts on social media. They allow you to get projects a little bit more organized. By you create a project. As the project is ongoing, you take pictures. They all end up in one place instantaneously. Notes for those pictures land there as well. So... If you're doing a big project and other people from the company need to see it, they don't need to continuously call you and email you. They can get updates on the project just by going into that project remotely and checking out what's happening. You can leave notes there, you name it. A year down the road, let's say you have a similar project to do, right? And you're like, well, what did I do on that one? How did I solve that problem? You have all the pictures there. If a customer wants to see um, a potential customer you're bidding on wants to see what you did in the past, you can show it to them. You can send them a link and show them, hey, this was the progression of the, po uh, of the project. This is what we did. This is how we finished it. And they can see it visually. Because we all know when a customer sees something visually, it allows them to react much quicker on, on a decision they're trying to make instead of hemming and hawing over stuff they see on paper. Now they see it visually. Yeah, I like the way that looks. I like the way you guys did that. Let's, let's move forward. So that's what Company Cam does. It helps you organize your projects in that type of way. So there's a free trial, 14 days. I will leave that link again in the podcast summary for you guys to check out for 14 days. Let's get back to Will, guys, and some more Airflow Talk. This segment of the podcast is brought to you by Harago, a trades-only platform helping you find the right job or the right candidate. Harago.com, best in trade. No, no let me ask, ask you this. Like the, the, the grill, the, your anchor grill, the one that started out at, at 80%, would that most likely be the furthest one away from the fan? 
Yeah, it's kind of an interesting thing. Uh, I haven't seen, a, I mean, I'm assuming if engineers knew there was a, a, a direct cause, they wouldn't design it that way every time. Um, but it definitely is. It's usually the furthest away on supply. A lot of times it's one of the ones that comes off first, you know, so this duct comes out of the unit and that first branch is going to be low because supply air just runs right past it. It has no intention of stopping and taking that turn to the left I or see. right. And it goes to the end of the duct. Pressure builds up from it hitting that end of the duct. And then those last two taps are always screaming. That's just, you know, those are always the highest. Uh, with exhaust duct, it's the exact opposite. You know, if you were to put an exhaust duct in a system, that first tap is going to be screaming because mm -hmm. it, the air just easily can draw from that first one. And the ones yes. far away, it has no interest in. So the reason I asked you that is because you said, like, you go to the next grill after your anchor one and and try to match that to, to the one before it so when you're going down this line it does it matter which one you go to next do you have to go to the one right beside it or can you you go to a, the one at the very furthest extremity from that one or is there a certain way you have to go about this a certain pattern yeah there's there's debate over that in the in the industry um the way i was taught was just to go to the one closest to it all right. Um, besides just being easy because you're already there, uh, okay. it, it seems to it seems to work better. Uh, occasionally, you will make it through balancing a system, and you'll go back and check one of your first two or three grills that you cut, and it'll have moved because there was something in the duct that, um, you know, changed. The, the kind of the big caveat with everything in airflow is I can mathematically tell you what's going to happen with everything, unless something in the system changes, and then it's like I I, I don't know what happened then. So, um, yeah, you would think that it should, you could pick any grill and cut them all down and, and we've done it two or three different ways. We used to have a test facility and we'd, we'd balance it three or four different ways and we'd always end up with the same damper position at the end of the day. But, um, it is, it's an interesting, yeah, people, people seem to disagree about how they're going to do it. And there, there's even a, a disagreement about the way to balance the system. I mean, you think it'd be cut and dry, but, um, there's guys out there that, that use the force. There's a, there's a mm -hmm. company, a good friend of ours actually is called Jedi balancing. And, uh, so they, you know, they, it's, they use the force to figure out which grills <laughs> to cut and where, where to cut them to. Um, it was kind of a tongue in cheek name, but it really is. People have that. That's the way they think it has to be done. There is no science to it. So. But, but when, when you say the use, use the force, you mean like they put their hand up to the, their grill and just feel the yeah, air that's, that's that's what i like to imagine is that they're no i mean it, it's they basically walk in and they'd see that system i was describing to you earlier and they'd see that grill at 118 percent, and they'd say okay well you know let me just cut that down to 92 and then you know that just the number is just completely out of the air and uh but you know they've done enough times where they this guy that's been doing this for 30 years can probably get that right um mm -hmm. but it's just not a method that you can teach someone so the goal is to have this repeatable, okay, I'm going to hire a new guy and, and within a week he's doing my job and I can go sit at the computer all day. Yeah, no, 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 that makes sense. I mean, we were actually talking to to Ken Goodrich. I don't know if you know who Ken is, um, but he's uh, he owns uh, Gettle Air Conditioning out in the, the west um, end of the U.S., okay. like Arizona. And, and But anyway, he was, he was mentioning a, a book called um, – the uh geez i think it's the e-myth i even got it on audible listen, the, yeah, listening yeah yeah e-myth 
yeah, the e myth and 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 uh, Michael E Gerber and this is what Ken was talking about is that you create a system within your business so that that system can be implemented by anyone anywhere, right? And that sounds like what, what you're talking about is creating a system so no matter who you hire, you give them this system and they can go out and balance balance anything. Which, which is cool. So the next question I have for you, okay, so just so I understand this right. So we got a four-ton system. It's 1,600 CFM. Let's say we have 10 diffusers, right? Um, so basically, we want to we wanna hit around that uh, 160 CFM per diffuser to start with, like 90 to 110% within that range is, is what you're saying, right? Yeah, and it, it all depends on what the engineer spelled out for us. Um, okay. But typically, yeah, if you had 10 grills in the same room, they should all be about 160 apiece. Okay. Um, the engineer takes, obviously, load into account and the number of people in the room and exposure on the windows and um, all kinds of stuff like that. I know we, we occasionally get called to go into a system blind where we have no designs, and we have to just figure it out. You know, you walk in, you see that there are 10 taps, and they seem like they all serve the same office, but maybe this one has two people in it. And so they get a little more air. Uh, yeah, but the, it's, it's the, definitely, what, what, sorry, well, I was saying what you're mentioning with the, the with the, the 160, um, with the 1600 divided by 10 to get your 160, that's just a starting point, right? Is that just a starting point? And then you kind of adjust from there or is that once yeah, you, get, mean, it, you get it? Yeah. I mean, once you get it, you get it, I guess it, it's a, uh, if you're trying to get 160, that's it's whatever the engineer designed, right? Mm -hmm. And so okay. if that's what they want is 160, then we, we're, we're allowed to have, as an air balancer on a commercial job, we're allowed to have typically uh, plus or minus 10%. So that 160, you know, as long as you end up with everything at 144 to 176, you know, you're, you're done for the day. Go home. You, you did a good job. Okay. Gotcha. All right. So. Once we like all those tools that you mentioned, the pedo tube and the tachometer and stuff, and where where do the like once you're done setting these diffusers to within ninety to hundred percent, ten percent, where do those tools come in to to further um, balance the system? Yeah, so the the second half of our job is to establish like a system baseline and to document it. Um, we also use them for troubleshooting, but a lot of the time, I mean, everything goes well, the job's done. You go up to your unit and we establish, you know, here's what the RPM was when we were done. Here's what the volts amps were when we were done. Mm -hmm. um, static pressures on the unit, everything. And then just to document that everything is at design, everything is good. And here is the ideal conditions for this unit going forward. Um, we also use them a lot for troubleshooting, though. I mean, you'll come up to a unit and it's at 80% of design but you have more RPM than the engineer designed. You have a higher static pressure than the engineer designed. And so then you're looking for uh, you know, a restriction in the duct, right? Mm -hmm. or, you, or you have less static pressure and now you're looking for a leakage in the duct. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of those tools come in for uh, establishing a baseline and troubleshooting. The, uh, the RVA though, uh, we use for setting outside air on unit, which is a, a big part of what we do. Um, Moving the air around in the, in the building is a big part, but setting the outside air is just as fundamental to what we do just to keep this building positive and uh, healthy, which is kind of a, it's one of the, it's one of the things we butt heads a lot with the average HVAC technician is, you know, they're having issues with cooling a building in the summer. 
And the first thing they want to do is shut the outside air because it, you know, it, make, it makes no sense to bring hot air in. Yeah. If you're, if your building's hot mm-hmm. and, uh, but you know, one of our big fundamental things is building health and the way to maintain building health is positive pressure. No, yeah, I'm I'm a big proponent of outside air as well. I mean, I've got an HRV in my home, and I, and I see a difference. The only thing with an HRV is it's actually pre um, well the energy's uh, transferring right from one to the other. So, right. I mean, when it's cold outside, some of that air is being heated, or at least to a certain point, anyway. Um, I just kind of want to reverse Bef- before we started this four ton. Um, 400 CFM per ton um, with the airflow. Are we actually setting up the fan to make sure we have that 400 CFM first before we go downstairs and start looking at the diffusers? Yeah, so in a, in a perfect world, um, you know, I think the way that our most standards are written is that you would try to establish total flow uh, prior to going downstairs. Obviously, a lot of, a lot of you know, total flow would be set with a, a pitot tube traverse. And so that would be our, our main goal is to get a traverse, set the fan for about 105, 110%. And then we would go downstairs and start balancing. Um, the average job, just the way that stuff gets installed, it's just almost impossible to find a place to traverse. And so, you know, you end up having to go down and you, and you establish your total off of the grills, which doesn't account for leakage. Um but once again, you know, it's one of those, we don't expect leakage that often. Most, most people know how to install duct, for the, you know, for the most part to where it's not going to be some sizable leakage amount. So if, if you can't get it up at the machine, you get your total downstairs yep. with, with all of the, uh, the balancing dampers wide open. Yep. And you're hoping so if, for, go ahead. And if, if you don't have your, if you don't have your 400 CFM per ton at that point, are now you going back upstairs and adjusting um, like, like, let's say the, there's an argument, sheave or pulley. Yeah. <laughs> so you're going to, you're going to, you're going to go, you're going to go, you're gonna go in, in, and adjust the speed on the fan at that point. If, if it is belt driven or, or if you can do something, um, if it is an ECM and you can ramp it up or down, you're going to go deal with that then. And before you move on, right? Yeah. That, that usually makes it easier. Um, okay. just when you're talking percentages, the more air you have, just the easier it is, you know, when you're trying to move around one or two CFM, it kind of becomes cumbersome. So the higher, the the more air you have, the better, the easier your job is. So if you were to take your preliminary numbers and you were low, it makes a lot of sense to go back to the roof. Um, you were saying sheave or pulley. I, we usually say shiv. So um, you'd adjust your shiv close to get more airflow or, you know, open it up if you have way too much um, or, you know, yeah, adjust your ECM. And a lot of times we'll take a, you know, we, we don't want to go downstairs and come back up and go downstairs and come back up five or six times to get that airflow dialed in. So that's where the RPMs come in huge is being able to uh, to calculate your airflow off your RPM. So, uh, you know, uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know how deep into the weeds you want to get with the affinity laws, but air balancers kind of live by the idea of, of uh, you know, air and RPM are one to one. Air and static pressure are it's a square root relationship, and uh, air and amps are cubic. So for every uh, every, I think it's every two percent change in every sorry every four percent change in airflow is a four percent change in RPM, but every four percent change in airflow is an eight percent in pressure. 
Mm-hmm. And so that's where, you know, we're really easy. We're able to go in and take an external static. And if it's at one inch and then we take an external static later on and it's at, you know, 1.2, we can tell you that it was a, an 8% change based upon that. Um, mm-hmm. Same thing with the amps, you know, a 4% change in an airflow it results in a, a 12% change in amperage. Gotcha. Yeah, that that that's the kind of stuff I'm never going to remember. <laughs> yeah, and so we we always uh, whenever I teach a guy, I always say SP has two letters, so you square it or square root it, <laughs> and amp has three letters, so you use cubit or cube, you know, uh, cube root it. Is there is there a place that uh, that this information is like readily available to to reference at any so, given time? Uh, the certifying bodies all have their stuff they put out. Um, some of it's kind of hard to get a hold of. There used to be. I used to. Uh, run a website a couple of years ago. It got bought whenever our company got bought and uh, we shut it down. But um, it's kind of one of my goals at some point in the future again is to get it all out there. Uh, I like the idea of, and the HVAC trade seems to have it a lot better than the air balance where a free sharing of ideas is better for everyone. You know, if everyone's on a level playing field because we're all doing stuff the right way, it's it's better for everyone. Mm-hmm. So, I got a couple more questions, but I'll tell you the story of the, uh, the, the sheave or it's spelled sheave. Some people say shiv, some people say, some people call it a pulley. So there was this, I've called it a pulley for years, even a dry, some people say it's, it's a blower pulley and a motor sheave or motor shiv. And so I started digging, like I was in this rabbit hole for like two, three hours, articles and quotes and this and that. And what I came up with was zero definitive answer on whether it's called a pulley or a sheave. A bunch of websites said it's a sheave. A bunch of websites said it was a pulley. It's a massive argument. I believe the, the argument was on Facebook, um, but it, it, it was funny. But there was at the end of it, it's like when you pull a vacuum on a unit in HVAC, yeah, everybody wants to get to 500 microns. That's kind of the industry, um, right. what the industry kind of, uh, the, the goal is, but w- when I'm looking to see if it's called a pulley or a shiv, there's no definitive answer. <laughs> so yeah, what's, what's uh, crazy is if you throw in like another area, um, we had guys from Ireland over for a while helping us years ago and it's, it's all different words. So <laughs> the moment you think you ever figured out, you go to a different area and it'll be completely different. Yeah. And I know in Australia, they call a vacuum sensor, a vac stat. And when I, at the first, first time I, I, I heard that or, or read that, like, where are you putting your vac stat mate? And they all say mate. Right. And that's how I always get, I always get a, I, I get messages from Australians all the time. Um, I guess they follow some of the stuff I, I do on social media and, and I, and I love it. It's great to, to know that in Australia, people are looking at what you do and giving you positive feedback. I think it's totally awesome, but I can always tell when it's someone from Australia, by the way they're speaking, um, but they call it, call it a vac stat. We call it a micron gauge. So there's, there's differences all, all across the globe, which makes us all unique. Right. But, um, so, so a question, so we get, we make sure our airflow is right. Then we start adjusting our dampers to 90 to 110%. Do we keep the the filter in place when we do that? Like a clean filter, is that okay? Or we got to take it out? No, no, yeah, we typically like to have the the filter in. Um, okay. In a perfect right. world, it's a partially loaded filter. I think that's what most uh, specs require. You know, there is like this ideal 
it's not clean. It's not dirty. There's somewhere in between. That's like the, this is where the majority of the unit's going to run. And so if we're going to set it up to run this way, let's, let's, let's go where it's like the, the standard's going to be a, a one month old filter type of thing. You know, that's gotcha. where it's going to see most of its life. Yeah. Okay. That, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. And so the next one I'm going to ask you, I, I've heard this rule of thumb and I've actually seen people set, um, airflow up this way. And, and, and it's just a rule of thumb, not checking total amount of air at all. Just going to, these are the, uh, I think I wrote them down here on the other page. Yeah, here we go. So, and, and I've seen people have been sent into buildings to do this and I just wanted to get your take on it. So they're using like the, the, uh, like the flow hood, like the Testo 420. And they're told that internal spaces are set up for one CFM um, per square foot. External spaces, like along the exterior of the building, are set up for 1.5 CFM per ton or per square foot, and corner spaces are set up for 2.0 um, CFM per square foot. What do you think of those numbers? Is that realistic no, stuff? Yeah, or? Those numbers sound right. I haven't heard it, but um, you know I, I, that sounds like that's that sounds like it's on the money. Um, yeah. Looking at just thinking about a hundred square foot office, you know, corner office is probably 200 CFM. So yeah, that that number sounds right. Um, like I said, ideally we always go in with a with a design, but uh, I'll keep that in my pocket for the next time I don't have them. Well, I I know that I know that people have been sent into buildings to do it this way, and I haven't heard any complaints afterwards. So I just I just didn't know if that rule of thumb was acceptable, or if that was like the uh, <laughs> the, the guys you're mentioning that that use the force to. Uh... Yeah, no, no. Like I said, it sounds it sounds right. It sounds correct. Um, you know, one of the biggest things we find with. Uh, with existing spaces and, and one of the main issues we find with comfort is a lot of it has to be determined on who has the thermostat, especially when you're in an office building. Yep. And so, you know, you always want to make sure that the grill serving the thermostat is equal with everything else. Cause if it's not, you have all kinds of issues. You know, if, if, if you have not enough air compared to the other spaces, you're going to be running the unit longer. If you have too much, you're going to sort cycle it like crazy. Um, so that, that seems to be one of the more common things we find too, is just, if you just get the air similar to everywhere else as, as the room with the thermostat, you're golden. Mm -hmm. Cool. So basically the example that we went through a few minutes ago is basically just like a, a big room, um, with a four ton unit on the roof and let's say 10 diffusers and there's no, let's just say the whole, the whole thing's an internal space. So if we get those 10 diffusers with 1600 CFM, we just want to get close as close as possible to 160 per, per diffuser as, as we can. That that's as basic as it gets, right? With all the yeah, dampers yeah, I mean, yeah. open first, the filter in partially loaded. And, and that's kind of just a basic rundown of, of what we're doing. Yep. Cool, man. So my next, my next question, maybe this is something that this is a kind of a technical support question. So those static pressure tips I got, I, um, I did a little video on it and th these are my readings and I want to, I want to get your take on, on the readings that I got. So this, this was a, geez, I can't remember if it was a four ton or a six ton. It wasn't a five. It was either one ton under or one ton above, but that doesn't really matter. Um, so I had, so right on the nameplate, it said external static pressure maximum was 2.0. Okay. Now I measured it and I got, 
if I'm remembering this correctly, it was around 1.21 or something like that. So it was it was under what the maximum on the nameplate was. So so that's that's cool. So then I checked just the return and then I checked just the supply. So the supply was around 0.8 and the return was around 0.4. These numbers are not exact, but they're clo- they're close right. enough. So what what do you think of those numbers? There's there's a rule of thumb I heard a while ago from Carrier. Um, if you're looking at a forward curved fan, which is you know uh, typical squirrel cage, in, you know every residential unit I've ever seen, you're looking for two thirds of your pressure to be on the entering side of the fan, and one third on the leaving side. So uh, externals don't really you know, there is a difference. Externals are going to be, you know, in your roof curb, leaving and entering, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but if you were to take a static at the entering of the fan, so you, I think you said you had 0.4 and 0.8, right? Around 0.4, yeah. yeah. So your entering of your fan on a typical unit, if you had 0.4 external in with the filter at about a you know 0.1 drop, you're at 0.5 now. And then with the coil at like a 0.2 or 3, maybe you're at 0.8. Um, those numbers kind of insinuate there may be a, a a load on the discharge side of the unit. Um, and it is kind of, it's like, that's, that's where you get into the voodoo witch doctor stuff. Like a restriction, the, like a restriction in the ductwork right. somewhere. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just that's, that, at, that's, that's what I, that's what I, that's what I thought because I mean, it seemed like a, a, a big difference. Yeah. In a perfect world, you should have kind of equal entering and leaving statics unless there is like just no duct on the return side or, or something of that nature, you know, where you're looking at like a, a medium pressure system. But, uh, Typically, you should have inter- like equal entering and leaving, and then, like I said, entering entering of your fan should be two thirds of your total. So, if you had a total of uh, one point five, you should expect one inch of entering static and 0.5 of leaving static. Um, that was a carrier rep that gave me that, and it seems to hold true for the most part. Everything I've ever seen. Yeah. So this this is this is my my readings were almost backwards. Right. But then, I mean, it could yeah. be, like I said, it could be no duct on the return side. You know, they could just have an empty drop or it could be uh, one or two dampers closed on the supply side causing some some static. Yeah. Yeah. And this is a unit that's been on the roof for a couple of years now and there hasn't been any calls on it like that. It hasn't been cooling or heating properly. So it's, it's, it's just it's just one of those things. I'm like, I, I got these static pressure tips and I have an hour left in my day and I'm going to do a little experiment here and, and and figure this out so i mean if if somebody were, were to go up to that and just check the the external static pressure and go hmm yeah i'm, I'm, I'm under my 2.0 they're gonna walk away and, and think everything's good so it's probably a good idea to to check return and supply separately too right right yeah no that's 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 huge and then you know even better than that is just a baseline um, you know, if the system gets installed and you check it and then every, every, you know, couple of years when you go to do a service call, just checking your external would be huge just to make sure something hasn't changed in the system. Um, yeah. You know, and, and I'm pretty sure I, I, stuff like that. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that I, in, in this little video I, I, I did, I mentioned that on, on a startup or commissioning, it should be checked and maybe written down somewhere. So over the years, I mean, you can find a little corner inside the unit. Like I hate when people write um, like when people take a panel off and go compressor changed, um, in 2009, like 
come on like <laughs> you just get every time you you replace something you fill up the panel with with more junk but the commissioning information that is something i could see being written in a panel and i wouldn't have a problem with like the uh the external static the the return and supply static the original pressures superheat subcooling all that if that was written in the corner of the inside of a panel somewhere that was kind of discreet i think that would be pretty cool yeah we we do that for some of our national accounts um we do a handful of chick-fil-a stores and they require uh that you have you, you leave a tag with your motor RPM and your blower RPM and your external static and all and your amperage, and just so that you can go back later on and determine if something is failing. So, because the motors will start to slip at some point, so having a motor RPM is huge. Uh, you know, you start seeing that external static drop over time, and then you go check the motor, and it's dropped over time. Well, maybe it's time for a motor change. Yeah, no, that's 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 all. That's also a big one. So let me ask you this before we. Uh, then I'll let you, I'll stop bugging you after this. <laughs> so when you're using a tachometer, right? Um, are you just checking, like you take, you taking the belt off and just checking, or l- let's say it's a belted fan, right? Are you going to take the belt off, turn on the unit and then just check the RPM at the motor? Or are you also checking the RPM at the blower with the belt on afterwards too? So we, we typically take it with the belt on always um, okay. to get them, you know, that way you can tell if, if the, it's a pretty definitive, the belt's too tight, if your motor RPM is, is suffering. So you should be moving pretty close to tag with the belt on, on your motor. Okay. All right. And then your fan is, uh, you know, based upon your shift sizes and all that stuff, you can tell what the, you know, your motor, your, your fan should be moving a certain RPM. But the only reason I ask that is because obviously in, in order to do this, you have to have the panel off. And when right. you take the pan, when you, when you take the panel off um, of a squirrel cage uh, blower fan, you actually raise the amperage of it, right? right. So yeah. I'm just wondering if that's affecting your overall readings when you're balancing. If when you take the blower door off and take your RPM at that point, so we've always been under the impression it doesn't. Uh, but I mean, I, you know, without I know that there are uh, options in there to actually mount a, a, a virtual laser. Mm-hmm tack and you can close yeah. the door and you can actually get a, a you know a number that, that would be cool that would be cool um so i think we've we've looked at but you know we, we obviously we we're always told take your amperage with the door closed um which has gotten easier now with i think fluke has some uh options for remote amps and stuff like that um, yeah a lot of me a lot of meters do now yeah you can get the amperage on your phone and just put the panel back on yeah. yep let's see which is this saves us a lot of uh, you know, worrying because sometimes you can't take an amp and you, you have to speed the unit up and you don't want to take it past its rating. And so it is nice to be able to actually get an amp draw with the door closed where you wouldn't have, you know, previously, especially on some units where you can't chase down what wire serves the fan. And as you know, we don't, we don't, as an air balancer, we're not deep in the weeds of electrical diagrams some days. So it's, <laughs> it's a lot easier to get the, get the lines going right into the motor mm-hmm. for our amperage. And then, then the other thing is most belted. I, I keep going to belted because that's just my experience is like, I deal with a lot of belted fans. Um, once you set, like m- most of these RTUs are shipped with a, uh, an, an adjustable sheave slash pulley. <laughs> um, once you determine what your fan speed should be and, and set that pulley up, are you recommending to replace it with a fixed pulley? Or sheave, or are you okay with leaving the 
the adjustable on there and, and is there benefits to either or? So we've always left the, uh, the adjustable. I've had a couple of movie theaters that ask us to go in and replace them with fixed shifts, mm-hmm. uh, which just adds a whole trouble of, you know, okay, we're three turns open on a BP 4.0 shiv. What is the pitch diameter on an A belt of a three turns open, right? I mean, it's, it's almost impossible to nail it. Okay, well, we lost you for a second, but we were talking about the difference between fixed and um, variable pitch um, drives. So you were saying that sometimes you keep them in because it's hard to get the exact match, right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think it's uh, um, when you're looking at a variable pitch, you essentially have most of them have five turns, which means you have 10 different settings on that variable pitch pulley. And so it's kind of hard to find that exact size to replace it with a fixed. Um, we've done it in the past. You end up losing, you know, maybe you gain or lose 5% of your airflow with the fixed shiv. Um, but, I, you know, nowadays they're making these variable pitches to where they're, I mean, they're more stout. They're a better shiv as long as you've tightened the the nut up and put the uh, the, the key back into them. Um, mm-hmm. They last just as long or longer than the, than the fixed shivs, in my opinion. So I know we replace uh, probably 30 or 40 shivs every couple months. Um, and... We just always we 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 try to replace the fan shiv honestly because it's cheaper, but uh you know we always leave the the variable pitch shiv on there if we can. Yeah, I I, I replace a lot of them too in slower times, and in my findings, I find the variable like the the, the fan ones for me are the ones that are that stay a bit more. Um, intact or they don't they don't wear down as much i find that the the variable pitch ones or or any not just the variable pitch any any ones that that are on the, the blower side you get these like kind of grooves and weird indents and stuff yeah. in them if, if the belt's riding funny inside of them interesting yeah so th- that that is interesting too about about how you you keep those um variable pitch ones in there i've i've replaced some of them in the past um on some some Liebert units and it worked out well for me, but you know what happened is, as I measured and, and what you're saying is right. I measured, so I, I set up the fan, the blower to basically, uh, as, as much amperage as I could get out of the thing to move as much air right. as I possibly could. Right. And you can't balance anything because there's no duct on these. It just blows into the floor and the yeah. floor is, it, it's, it's a massive, uh, raised floor with no, it's, it's just, pressurizes the floor the floor is like a big duct basically um so there's no no really there's no balancing you can really do unless you you're you want to get real hardcore into it and and get the perforated tiles and and take measurements of all of them and all that yeah i know we've done it before it wasn't fun have you yeah so so so, everything so i i've changed some of those out and i measured it and it looked like the exact same size when i measured it but what happened is when i put them on the fan was now running or the motor sorry was running now in its um it, it was over amping a little bit in that safety factor or service yep. factor uh but I, I left it there and this was like four years ago and yep. it's been running in that service factor now slightly slightly over in that service factor which which um, should yeah it should never be an issue air over coil it, it's it's incredible how resilient the motors are versus what they're tagged for sometimes yeah i've I've had these arguments with with people where they're like oh no it should only be for periodic times and stuff like that where it goes into service factor but i'm like guys i've seen these things running now for like four years in service factor and 
there's no sign of failure. There's yep. no sign of failure whatsoever. We've so actually I, had, I see you. Go sorry, ahead. go on. I was going to say, we've actually had some disagreements with manufacturers recently where we are taking these motors right up to service factor and they're telling us, no, no, you can go a lot over that. You know, I'll always look at the tag on the unit because carriers is especially good about this. They'll actually, you know, the motor is rated for five amps full load. And you look at the tag and it says it's a six amp motor. And it's because they've actually done the testing, determined that where this motor is placed in the airstream, you can get another amp out of it. No issue. Because the air cools it, keeps it cool. And especially if it's not a heat pump, if it's electric heat or, you know, something on the discharge side where you're never going to have anything warmer than 74 degrees going across the motor. You know, obviously if if you're drawing heat across it, yeah, you have a whole different Mm -hmm. story when you're, when you're running a heat pump. Yeah, that, that's, that's really interesting actually. Um, yeah. So, so I, I've been, what you're saying, I've, I've witnessed that myself and, and for me, a lot of times I keep the variable pitch ones in there because I don't know how many buildings I've been in where you go back and like people have renovated and they've done this and done that and it screws everything up, screws up all their airflow and and all that. And like, and now you have to, you actually have to make an adjustment to it. And instead of going out and buying another, uh, sheave, I'll call it a sheave because you do, (laughs) you you already have it there and you can adjust, make an adjustment to it uh, on, on the fly. Yeah. They're, they're definitely very useful for renovations and stuff. I mean, you, you can usually get, um, somewhere between 20 to 30% airflow swing from all the way open, to all the way closed. And and that's, it's huge for, uh, especially on renovations where they're changing the duct massively. And you now need to get this airflow that they didn't foresee three years ago when they put the unit in. Mm-hmm. Cool, man. This, this was, uh, insightful for me. So I, I really, uh, Really appreciate it, man. So like we didn't even, usually what I, <laughs> I do is, is get into kind of, uh, where you're working and, and, and all that and, and your background, but we didn't do that. We just got straight into the discussion and, and I liked it. Refreshing. Yeah, no, it was good. <laughs> okay, man. Well, I appreciate your time, Will. And, um, if, if any, so your Instagram account, is it open or is it private? Yeah. Like, yeah. So it's open. Um, the pedo, it was, uh, just started to, probably back in uh, March or something, you know, with the idea that I eventually want to grow this to be, uh, do more training and, uh, offer that up to people. And, and I, I haven't really spent a lot of time with it. It's been busy, but, uh, yep. definitely uh, anyone that's interested in learning more about air balance, I'm, I'm happy to, happy to talk about it. Very, very cool. Actually, I didn't even know, I thought I was following you after we talked before and I wasn't, but I just hit the follow button just now so all right guys so follow will at the pedo on instagram and reach out to him if you have any questions so thanks man have yeah, a, thanks for having have me on aw- yeah anytime have an awesome night hey, you too thanks sir well that's another one in the books and another educational one i like that discussion i really did because it made my mind start to work and when your mind starts to work it kind of energizes your thoughts and it just gets you thinking. And when you're thinking, that's good because you don't want to become stale. Trust me on that. And I've, I've said that a ton of times. Don't become stale. I have been airflow ignorant for a very long time and I'm trying to, I'm trying to get past that. I'm trying to get over the hump. Yeah. I've been in the trade for like 22 years now, since I was 18 years old, actually 23 years now since I was 18 years old and 
I'm trying to learn new things. So if I'm doing it after this long, you should be doing it too, especially if you're younger. If you're younger, now's the time. Don't wait till you're don't wait till you're older or been in the trade forever to try to learn the basics of airflow. Do it now. And then when you get to that when you get to the the stage of being in the trade for 23 years, you're just going to be a master, right? And 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 starting with this podcast, hopefully that will inject inspiration to learn a little bit more about airflow and static pressure and velocity pressure and velocity and all that kind of good stuff. Anyway, thank you, Will. Thank you guys for listening. I'm out. Happy HVACing. Hope you enjoyed the show. Follow HVAC Know It All on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, LinkedIn, and anywhere else Gary feels like popping up. This has been a Two Smokes and a Coffee production.